evidence and answers. When sharing what you believe with others, do you turn people away or draw them in? We sometimes forget that certain tactics can cause rejection instead of embracement of the gospel. So what is your game plan for discussing your faith? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, we begin with Message 4, taken from the 2017 Apologetics Conference, held each year in Hawaii. Pat hosts this conference and brings out the best scholars, teachers, and authors to share in teaching and equipping you, the believer, to be able to share your faith effectively in our culture today. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Listen as Greg Kokel presents Part 1, Tactics, a plan for discussing your Christian convictions. I get to do a lot of talks at events like this. I like it. I enjoy it, usually because part of the reason is because people who teach at events like this are really smart. They're the smart guys. A lot of times they're the PhDs and the philosophers and the theologians. And, you know, I don't have a PhD, but I get to kind of shoulder up to these guys and hope some of the good stuff rubs off, you know. And they give lots and lots of good information, and it's fabulous. And there is not a single issue, by the way, that has been raised in a challenge to classical Christianity that has not been adequately answered by some really smart person on our team. I mean, we've got the goods on this. And part of my job is maybe funnel you in a direction where you can get that stuff or to take some of the smart stuff and to translate it so it's easier for you to understand. But I noticed that there's something wrong with virtually all of these conferences. These conferences have a lot of information. I mean, and after you're done, like probably by the, this evening, you're going to feel like that guy in the Far Side cartoon, and there's a lot of uh, equations on the board. He's in a math class, and he raises his hand, and he says, Professor, can I be excused? My brain is full, right? You ever feel that way? And that's what happens in a lot of these conferences. And so there's something missing oftentimes. Remember, we talked about the knowledge thing yesterday, plenty of that. But there's something missing, and the thing that's missing is a bridge from the content to the conversation, all right? A bridge from the scholarship to the relationship. When I am invited to those events, that's what I get to talk about a lot of the times, and I get to do it a lot of times at the the last event, the last session, and then I say, all this stuff you've been learning, I'm going to tell you how to put that into play, and that's what I want to do for you for this session, okay? I want to provide for you that bridge from the content to the conversation. I want to build your expectation a little bit on this. I mentioned a prophecy, so to speak, a prediction I gave last night. Three nights ago, Wednesday night, I was at another event in Southern California. I wasn't teaching. One of my friends was teaching. And it was actually my home church. And while I was sitting quietly in the back, trying not to be noticed, a gentleman came up to me and he said, you know that book, Tactics? It changed my life. That phrase I have heard more often regarding our teaching or what we do at Stand to Reason than anything else. People have told me that. The reason I'm just passing that on to you is not to build myself up. It's to build an expectation in you of the power of a simple game plan that I'm going to introduce you to today, a game plan that is going to inform many of you really change everything in the way you engage. 
And this is what people have told me over and over and over again in the hundreds, no matter where I go in the world, frankly, and address this situation. People will come up and talk about that because of the help that's been to them. Now, I want to remind you or review what we were talking about yesterday, because we were talking about this project of going out into the community and communicating our convictions. Notice I didn't say sharing my faith, but communicating my convictions. You know, watch your language, so I'm trying to model that for you, okay? Communicating my convictions, not with unbelievers, but with people who don't share those convictions, okay? And I suggested to you a different way of thinking about it or looking at it. I didn't want you to think about it as evangelism. I wanted you to think about it as being not an evangelist, but being a what? An ambassador, okay? I didn't want you to think about confrontation and conflict and harvesting. I wanted you to think rather about what? Gardening, okay? And the key to gardening is thinking about, here's my goal, putting a stone into somebody's shoe, just doing a little work, just trying to get them thinking, okay? So this is my general approach. This is whenever I go, whenever I sit down next to somebody on an airplane, or I meet somebody in a restaurant, a waiter, or we had a waiter last night after our event. It's a Christian young man, but had some questions, you know, he had his own concerns. But what am I trying to do there? I'm just trying to do a little gardening to either build up a Christian or to give somebody who's not a follower of Christ something to think about. Because I'm convinced that Jesus is worth thinking about. And if I could just give him a little bit, I'm satisfied. I don't have to go the distance, okay? If there's a good responsiveness, well, I'm going to go. I mean, sometimes people say, well, when do you get to the gospel in your system? I say, well, I get to the gospel anytime I want. And what I mean by that is I am not artificially compelled to get the gospel out in every conversation. I can take the circumstances as they come and do what I need to do in the circumstance and do a little work and move that person, if I can, a little closer to Christ because I know I've got a whole team of gardeners that are out there working and we've got the master gardener who's directing things. It's not my problem. It's my task but it's not my problem, it's his problem. So I can be relaxed more in a circumstance and just be satisfied with doing a little bit. And when we lower the expectation, we increase the activity, okay? When we lower the expectation, we increase the activity. Because I know a bunch of you are saying right now, well, I could do that. And my answer is you can. You can do that, but you need something else. You need a plan. So here's the promise I'm going to make regarding this session. I promise that I will give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you know, or how knowledgeable, or how aggressive, or even obnoxious the other person happens to be, all right? Now you're thinking, well, that's a mouthful. He's only got 40 minutes. I'll keep my promise. I always do, because it's not that hard. This is, a, this is a game plan that follows the directives of Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. So make a note of that verse. And here's what he says. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. That's how he starts. In other words, be smart, okay? 
Use your opportunities well. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt. All right, so be smart and be nice. (laughs) What a concept. So that you know how to respond to each person. So that you know how to respond to each person. So be smart, be nice, but be tactical. Be alert to the unique circumstances of every situation. And it's not that hard. And that's what this game plan will allow you to do. Let me give you an example of this kind of thing. A number of years ago, I was in northern Wisconsin, and I grew up in Chicago, and my family had some property up there that my grandfather purchased in 1960. And when I was a kid, I used to go up there. It's a, he built a little place on it. We call it the cabin, but if I say that, you picture something that is probably not like our place. Or think of the shack. Maybe it's more like it, but it's our place. And, and I used to go up there as a kid and do fishing because I like to do fishing, but I don't get to fish very often. But This time it was late May and I was in northern Wisconsin and I was with a local pastor and I was out on a beautiful lake and I was fishing for smallmouth bass. And that day I caught the largest smallmouth bass of my life at the time. It was four pounds, two ounces. Now, four pound, two ounce smallie is a pretty big fish for that neck of the woods. I mean, that's borderline trophy. Okay, five is a trophy. Since then, I've got eight fish over five and one almost six. If that barker would have eaten one more crayfish, I would have had a six pounder, you know? But I was really proud of this fish, and so I I wanted to get a picture of it, which I did, and take the film, the film, the what? The film to the local photo processing lab and get it digitized. Oh, I know what that word means. So that I can show it up on the screen that Sunday at the pastor's church where I was speaking. I was going to flex my fishing muscles, you know, those folks up there, they care about that kind of thing. And while we were doing the business there with the film. I was there with my wife, and there was a young lady on the other side who's processing our order. She had a large pentagram hanging from her neck. Now, a pentagram is a five-pointed star, and it's often an occultic symbol. And so I saw that, and it piqued my curiosity. And so I asked her, does that jewelry have religious significance? And she said, yes, it does. The five points stand for earth, wind, fire, water, and spirit. And then when she said that, you know, like the bells are going off, okay, I... This is familiar to me, right? And then I said, well, you know, I really wanted to know whether it had religious significance for you personally, because some people wear a cross and it doesn't mean anything, it's just jewelry. And she said, yes, it does, I'm a pagan. Now, I'm a trained professional, right? So I'm cool, calm, and collected. But my wife was standing next to me when this lady called herself a pagan and it caught my wife by surprise and she started laughing. Then she caught herself and she said, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to be rude, but I never heard anybody admit it before. She'd only heard the word pagan when her girlfriends would call their kids in, you know, get in here, you bunch of pagans, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) So the lady was, she wasn't offended, and she went on to explain her worldview. It's an earth religion, and on she was going, and I suddenly realized that I'm talking to a witch. And so I asked her, are you Wiccan? And she said, yes, I am. And as she explained her own belief, she said, we respect all life. Now, if somebody told you that part of their core beliefs is that they respect all life, what would you presume about her with regards to the abortion issue? She's probably pro-life, which is what I asked her. So you'd be pro-life then, right? She said, no, no, I'm actually pro-choice. I said, isn't it unusual for a witch to be pro-choice? Which it is. Most witches are pro-life from my understanding because of their view. And she said, I know it is a little bit odd. And then she qualified her remark. She said, I know I could never do that, referring to abortion. I could never kill a baby. Wow. Now, stand to reason, we have training material that makes the case 
that abortion takes the life of, of an innocent human being without proper justification, baby killing if you will, but we don't tell pro-lifers to use that kind of language because we don't want it to appear like we're making our case with loaded rhetoric. So we don't use a baby killer kind of thing. That's not useful, helpful, okay? But now I'm not the one who's describing abortion as baby killing. It is the pro-choice person who is describing abortion as baby killing. One thing that I hope you get from our time here is you get the conviction you have to listen to what people are saying because people are going to give you things that will be useful to you in your conversation so you know how to respond to each person. Back to Colossians again. And so in this conversation where we talk about abortion, am I going to use the word abortion anymore? No, I'm going to use the phrase baby killing because she's already legitimized that. She says, I know I could never do that. I could never kill a baby, and then gave the reason why. She said, I would want something bad to come back on me. Kind of a caramel thing, what goes around comes around. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's an odd reason not to kill babies. I'm not going to kill any baby. You never know what's going to happen to you when you start killing babies. I mean, maybe we just not kill babies regardless. I don't know. But I didn't pursue that. Instead, I said to her, well, maybe you won't kill babies. Good. But maybe we should stop other people from killing babies. And she said, I think people should have a choice. Now, what is the choice that we're talking about by her own admission? The choice to kill babies. And that's what I said. You mean people should have a choice to kill babies? And she said, well, I think all things should be taken into consideration. I said, okay, what would be a legitimate consideration to make it okay to kill a baby? And she immediately said incest. Okay, now I want you to see what's going on here. She's pro-choice, and she is trotting out all of the pro-choice slogans. You see that, right? But she has already admitted that abortion is baby-killing, so in this case, all of the slogans in favor of abortion are slogans in favor of explicitly now baby-killing, and it's starting to sound a little weird. But she doesn't hear it. You know why? Because she's just running out slogans. This happens all the time. People are socialized to say certain things that seem to them to support their point of view, and they just run it out. And they are not thinking about what they're saying. And by the way, Christians do this all the time. This is why I want you to watch your language. I want you to get away from that kind of stuff. I want you to have real conversations with people, okay? But she's not thinking about it, right? And she doesn't see it. So I ask her, I said, let me ask you a question. If I had a two-year-old standing next to me who had been conceived by incest, that's her rule, right? then I should be allowed to kill this two-year-old. Is that right? Now, let me ask you a question. Was that a fair application of her view? Absolutely. It's exactly what her view was. Now, notice, by the way, if I did misunderstand it, I have given her an opportunity to correct me. D do I get you right here? But she didn't correct me because it was her view and it was an accurate application and it stopped her in her tracks. And maybe that's where a stone went in her shoe, I don't know. It's hard to tell about some of these things, just so you know. What you do is you try to be gracious and faithful and then let God worry about the rest. You don't know when that stone's going in. You don't know the impact it's having on that person. You don't know if there's not a ricochet thing going on. You're talking to this person, somebody over here is actually listening to you and there's a difference happening in their life, not the person you're talking to. This kind of thing happens all the time, okay? But, but she, when I asked her about the two-year-old, she paused, and now she's thinking about it, killing the two-year-old. And then she says, I'd have mixed, <laughs> I'd have mixed feelings about killing the two-year-old. And I'm, that was a concession. I'm thinking, I'm glad, at least mixed, you know, that she's not willing to totally live out what she just said. 
Now, the line is growing behind me, and I realize that I'm interfering with her work product, and my opportunity as an ambassador has come to an end. I have done a little gardening. I've hopefully tried to put a stone in her shoe. God knows. God's in charge. I do my thing. Now I'm interfering, and that's the end of it. Now, if I had been of a different persuasion, got to get to the gospel in every conversation, then I would have forced to say, hey, folks, I haven't gotten to the gospel yet. Sit down, listen up, maybe I'll learn something. But you see, I wasn't under that pressure. I could do what I could do and just let it go, knowing that God is ultimately in control. I gave this illustration. This really happened. All that's right. My wife and I went out to the car afterwards. We prayed for that lady, and I wrote down the whole conversation so I get it right. But I want you to notice something. In that conversation, I asked nine different questions. I asked questions to initiate the conversation. I asked questions to get more information from her about her own view. I asked questions to exploit what I saw, thought was a weakness or a flaw in her view. What about this two-year-old kind of thing? And at this point, my notes say, and she was doing all the work. But then I looked, and I, because I wasn't doing any work. I was relaxed. I was cool, calm, collected. There was no pressure on me. We weren't having a fight, right? I'm just asking some questions and just seeing where the conversation goes. It was easy going for me. But then I realized that my notes are wrong. She wasn't doing all the work because she wasn't doing any work. Neither of us were doing any work. There was no line drawn in the sand. We're not defending turf. And that's the way I want it. That's the way I want it. I want pleasant conversations. I want friendly interactions. I want genial discussions about things that really matter. So I'm going to do everything I can to avoid a fight, because as I mentioned, I think, yesterday, last evening, if anybody gets mad, what? I lose. Okay? Did I say that last night? All the guys already forgot that one. Their wives are reminding them, hey, if I get mad, you lose. Oh, wake up. Yeah, I don't want to get in a fight. I don't want anybody to get mad. Now, sometimes you can't avoid that. I mentioned that as well but I'm shooting for that. This is the power of a tactical approach, all right? Relaxed, easygoing, get people thinking, nobody's angry, progress, hopefully. More like diplomacy than D-Day. That's what I'm after. So, standard reason we have lots of tactics in the book on tactics. Did I mention I wrote a book on this? A game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. We have lots of tactics. They have different names, names like suicide and taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and steamroller. These are all maneuvers that you can make in conversations. Okay, I teach you how to do that. I give lots of illustrations, just like I did from my own life, okay? But there is one tactic that I use more than any other tactic, and the tactic itself, in fact, is the core of the game plan. And it's the easiest tactic imaginable to stop a detractor in their tracks to turn the tables, to get them thinking, and to put you in the driver's seat of the conversation, which is where you want to be. Not manipulating, managing. Not coercing, just moving it forward in a productive way as best as you're able. You want to be in the driver's seat. And this main tactic, which is really the core of the game plan, has a name, and the name of the tactic is... Columbo. Mm. As in the infamous Lieutenant Columbo of TV fame. Some of you old folk remember him. I'm with you on that. I mentioned he was three decades ago, and then my staff said, you're getting senile. 
Yes, four decades ago, all right, he had an old trench coat, right? Looked like he slept in it. I got mine at Salvation Army. My wife is a, the thrift store queen. She told me, whenever you buy something at the thrift store, you always want to look in the pockets because you never know what you're going to find. Wait a minute. What? Oh, my gosh, look at that. <laughs> How'd that get in there? Colombo's got a cigar, right? Now, look, at this is a plastic one. No worries, all right? I hate cigars, actually. Whenever I get a real cigar, I always destroy it by fire. <laughs> All the way down. I don't want anybody to stumble. You know, I'll take care of that. Now, Lieutenant Colombo has a paper pad, right, for taking notes, but he can't use it to take notes on. Why not? He doesn't have a pen or pencil, right? He's, got a, he's not prepared. He's got to bum a pencil off of somebody. And this guy shows up at the crime scene, you know, and he's walking around scratching his head mumbling to himself, and this guy doesn't look like he can think his way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, this guy's stupid, but he's stupid like a fox, right? Because he's got a plan. And at some point, he'll pause and put his hand to furrow a brow like this, like he's deep in painful thought, and then he'll say something like this. I don't know. There's something about this thing that bothers me. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Right? He asks a question. Gets the answer back. Oh, you're very intelligent. One more thing. And then he one more tings them to death, right? Question after question after question. Pretty soon people start getting annoyed. He said, I'm sorry. It's because I'm asking all these questions, but I can't help it. I can't help it. It's a habit. And this is a habit that you ought to get into. The key to the Colombo tactic is the Christian goes on the offense in an inoffensive way using carefully selected questions to advance the conversation. Let me say that again. The key to the tactic is that the Christian goes on the offensive in an inoffensive way. Remember Lieutenant Colombo, man, he does, he's not scary. People don't take him seriously. With carefully selected questions to advance the conversation, okay? So this is going to be our game plan. And there are three uses to questions, which means there are three parts of our game plan. And the first two steps in our game plan, I'm actually going to give you a model question to ask. So this is going to be really, really easy. And what you do in your game plan is you follow the steps of the game plan as far as you're able in any conversation, and then you just let it go. You do not worry about it. I do not believe that every encounter is a divine appointment. Sometimes it's just ships passing in the night. There's nothing there. And there's going to be times when I'm going to use my game plan and initiate conversations, and it goes nowhere. Well, why, why should I push the river? I mentioned last night to a question there, if people don't want to talk to me, I don't want to talk to them. Why, why would I want to annoy them? They're not interested. Why bruise the fruit, right? Trying to jerk on the fruit before it's ready? That's not a good idea. Okay, so I'm just going to go with the flow, but I'm using my game plan. Now, when I use the phrase game plan, I mean this quite literally. That is, I have the steps of my game plan in my mind, and I'm going to give you the steps so that when I encounter somebody that I would like, hope, maybe would have a spiritual impact somehow in their life, put a stone in their shoe, I think of the first step of my game plan. That's all I have to worry about. Do the first thing. And then if that's productive, then I have another step. I can go there. Very simple. And if that's productive, I have another step to pursue. All right? Now, I'm just going to give you, in the short time I have, the first two uses of Colombo. Okay? That's all I need to give you 
to fulfill my promise that I made to you a little while ago. But the third step is really important. So I'm giving you just enough to annoy you. So then you buy the book because there's really good stuff in there. All right. But this will get you going. Okay. The first two uses of Columbo with the first two model questions. And what I'm suggesting then is when you're in a circumstance, don't worry about the gospel. Don't worry about sharing Christ. Don't worry about those are all going to happen kind of naturally if you follow the game plan. So here's the first use of Columbo. The first use of Columbo is to gather information. Gather information. Columbo shows up at the crime scene. There's a dead body. He's got to solve the crime. How's he solve the crime unless he knows something? for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll see we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, Pat's books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit their website. That's hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Yeah.